This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad at all, mate. Not bad. How about yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Uh, Good weekend. I wasn't at the football this weekend. We were at a wedding instead, Um, but... Nonetheless, plenty of good championship action, which I'm looking forward to. I had a, I've had a lazy Sunday, catching up on all the action, doing my research as we do for the pod, and uh, I've had it's been quite nice just just scrolling through and watching the highlights and getting all the data in and having a look at how everything unfolded, having been out of action on Saturday. Um, how was the weekend for yourself? Not bad, not bad. Um, work today, Man United Leeds, bit of a dull game, must admit, not quite the. The barnstorming encounter encounter, uh, I expected, but sadly I was off. Shane Wednesday dropped a couple of points at Ipswich, but we'll take a point and move on. So, not bad. All's well in my world. Two teams that might well be on this podcast next season, if uh, they carry on as they are. Plymouth Argyle will have something to say about that, though. Of course, as always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're going to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's podcast, we'll be looking back at another busy weekend of Championship action with another managerial change at Huddersfield Town. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm going to start, George, in that basement battle between Wigan Athletic and Huddersfield, but starting off the pitch first because in the week, Mark Fotheringham was given his marching orders by Huddersfield Town, the second manager sacked after Danny Schofield earlier this season. And that came after a two-all draw against Blackpool at Bloomfield Road, where they played against 10 men for a large portion of the match, got themselves in front with a great goal from Josh Caroma late on, and then still conspired to somehow draw the game, conceding even later to a Josh ball leveller and that was the last throw of the dice for Mark Fotheringham and in my opinion it's the right decision he's been he's certainly been outspoken with the media I think he's on several occasions thrown his players under the bus to try and get a reaction and quite simply the points tally tells you that he didn't get a reaction the points tally wasn't good enough and I don't think he can have any complaints personally there was very little substance to some of the little sound bites that you that came out and don't get me wrong, what a manager says in the media, most of the time it's sort of rubbish and it's just mind games in terms of either trying to psych up his own players, trying to psych out the opposition. Everything that's said in the media is usually for a manager's gain or to make a point to someone. So I don't want to read too much into it, but I think there's, it's fair to say that it was not having a positive impact on his players. It certainly wasn't translating into a, you know grittier or fiery, more fiery performances on the pitch. And ultimately, Huddersfield Town didn't make progress. If anything, they, it's hard to say they regressed under him because they were so poor under Danny Schofield at the start of the season. But I don't think you could say they remarkably improved. There wasn't many victories in that run either. And they weren't beating the teams around them either. And I think that was the bigger concern. And with about, what, 16 games of the Championship left season left to go, I think they have a better chance of staying up. Because remarkably, despite how poor they've been, they're only one point off safety. And that's despite obviously losing to the get, losing at the weekend against Wigan, which we'll come on to. But 
yeah, I think they, they've still got a chance of staying up because there are four other teams, maybe five teams, that are pretty poor as well. So I think it's probably the right decision. I think you just have to, at some point, hold your hands up and say, we got this one wrong. They did give him some tools to work with with January. But I think it's, for me, quite clear that this was a bad appointment and I can't expect we'll see Mark Fotheringham around in the Championship anytime soon again. You wouldn't have thought so, would you? I mean, it was one of those where, you know, when it happened, I think, in a way, kind of similarly to when Colo Torre got the Wigan job, where you kind of felt it had kind of got disaster written all over it from the beginning. You know, Mark Fotheringham, obviously, he'd... You know, he knew the championship from his playing days when he was at Norwich, but management is obviously a whole different ball game. He came obviously back to England, having coached in Germany, and at the time it seemed a very, very strange decision in the fact that obviously they'd sacked Danny Schofield. You could sense, even though it was still very early in the season at that point, you know, really they needed you know experienced hands who knew the championship well, and it just didn't quite fit right from day one. Like you said, there was countless occasions where in the media he used that platform. To throw his players under the bus, he was incredibly critical. I remember speaking to one credible journalist quite a while ago, not long after he'd come to the club. It was actually after his, his first win when he beat Hull City in his first game back in October. And he said some of the comments he was making even after that game were kind of like, you had to, you know, as if to say, have I heard right what he's just said? There was, there was many instances where he used the media to throw his players under the bus, criticise them quite heavily. And, you know, it just didn't sit right from the outset of his reign. And I'm not surprised at all that it's ended in him, him getting the boot. It, it just didn't ever sit right with me. You know, Huddersfield, for the position they were in, obviously they'd come off such a high last season, narrowly missing out on the uh, on promotion in the playoff final. Carlos Corbran obviously left the club. Danny Schofield, I thought controversially, was given the job. Then, obviously, Mark Fodringham got it and it's just not worked out. And, you know, Huddersfield, you look at their recent run of results and they, they have struggled a hell of a lot. And, you know, in, in fairness to Fodringham, he didn't have the most gifted squad. I think it is fair to point that out. And I think any Huddersfield fan would agree that that squad is a lot weaker than it was last season. But at the same time, like I've said, he, he didn't help certain situations, you know, with his attitude in, in press conferences, the way he spoke about his players and things like that, just, you know, it can't have kind of motivated them. It just probably made them feel worse. So, like you said, you've mentioned about there's probably you know four or five teams that you would think in this relegation battle. I mean, at the minute, I would consider that five clubs are a certainty in this battle to avoid the drop, even though I don't think you can discount Stoke just yet. So, say there's six in this battle: Huddersfield. They, you know, they're only a point off survival as it stands. 16 games to go is a long way to go. They've got a good chance of getting out of this. For me, they need an experienced manager. They need a Neil Warnock type. And Who know, would you be appointing? Who would you be on the phone to? That is quite the question. I mean... I've got a name. Go on then, Liam Richardson. Uh, correct. Why not? He's, he's absolutely a great fit to galvanise a football club. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm becoming Liam Richardson's PR say, man. Liam Richardson is your new Mark Warburton. I just think that he would be a really ago. good a good appointment for a I agree, you know, struggling championship side that wants to become more upwardly mobile that isn't doesn't have a mo- one of the more talented squads in the division in terms of technical ability. 
and he has got some experience of, of fighting off relegation. Yeah, I think for I mean, a, if you came into a squad that had got loads of technically gifted players, I don't think that's his style of play. But I think getting the maximum out of each individual and kind of a fighter, isn't he? Correct. He's and I just think you know, yeah, I, I think he would be difficult. a good fit for any of these sort of clubs I mean, that are in I'm this just position. Looking, just looking at the betting odds now, and as always, you take betting odds with a pinch of salt, and you can't view a lot off them. But I mean, the current top five, Richardson is fifth on the list at 16 to 1. Currently, Neil Warnock was the favourite, as he often is for every single job, even though he, he does insist he's packed it in. Whether he'll make one last comeback, of course, remains to be seen. But Danny Cowley's also on the list. And, you know, if he'd not been at Huddersfield before, that might have been one. But he's probably more of a long term man, you know, saying if he hadn't been at Huddersfield before. You know, other names on the list include Valerie and Ismail, Chris Hewton, um, even Daniel Farker's on there, 33-1, to 1, albeit a long way down the list. But I think Liam Richardson, the situation they're in, would be the, the best suited fit at the moment. But what are Huddersfield going to do? Because we've seen it with the way Huddersfield have gone down the coaching route in the last few years. They've gone, you know, even though obviously um, Mark Fodringham was British, obviously he was poached from overseas, brought back, to, brought back to the British Isles. Are they going to go down the route of scouring around Europe again for a new boss. It's possibly the way they're going to do it again. But for me, in, the, in this in this situation, they need an experienced pair, pair of hands who knows the championship well. And Richardson would certainly be be a good bet. I mean, Chris Hewton, good manager. Obviously, uh, you know, he's lost a bit of his reputation after the way things end at Forest. But prior to that, he'd done a pretty good job everywhere else he'd been. Did a brilliant job at Brighton. Um, Would he be so interested, yeah. given he's quite in? Well, that's in, the thing, isn't he's quite it? Quite part it, of the Ghana setup, isn't it? At the he moment? is. He is part of the Ghana setup, and as well as that, he's obviously in the past been at clubs who have had a bit of a budget to work with, have been at the top end of the table. So you obviously have got to factor that in. But you know, there's there's many names on this list, and I mean, Liam Richardson probably looks like the best bet. But it would be interesting to see what else they could do. Nathan Jones, obviously, out of work now. Is he going to jump straight from Premier League to bottom of the Championship? Probably not. Depends how keen he is to get back in work. I know things have turned pretty sour at Southampton for him. But in the Championship, albeit with one club loot, and he has proven what he can do. Obviously, Stoke was a disaster. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Or will they go down the route of looking into League 1, League 2 for maybe a young and upcoming manager? and try a long-term thing. Seems a gamble at this point. It does time. seem a gamble. I, they're not in the position to do that. If it was the end of the season and they've secured survival yeah. or whatever, maybe so, but they need somebody. You know, even though things aren't going well at the moment, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, somebody of a Mick McCarthy ilk probably would have been Huddersfield's right bet on a deal till the end of the season. So it's an interesting one. Obviously, it's, it's you know it's been not too far off a week as we record since they made the decision to to relieve him of his duties. They've got a game and another game in midweek. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but they've got to act pretty fast on this, I feel, because you know their form isn't showing any signs of improving. Even though, to be fair, on the pitch, the highlights I saw at, at Wigan on Saturday, for the most part, they looked as though they carried the greater threat in that game. Yes, no, absolutely. I, I thought that Huddersfield, it probably summed up where they're at in terms of, I think, between both boxes, they were probably the better team. Um, better side than Wigan at the moment but in the 18-yard box in each one of them they were soft and they were weaker and they didn't take the chances and they conceded a very soft goal from a set piece and 
as I say, they, they are they do look like obviously they're in trouble, but they, uh, given how poor the teams around them are, the right appointment could keep them up. For Wigan, obviously, it's been a great week for them as well for, with Sean Maloney coming in. Solid point at Ewood Park on Monday night. Obviously, I was at that game. They weren't brilliant, but they were good value for a point. They came away at one of the teams that were obviously fine to get in the playoff places. They were dogged, they were resilient, and they had spells in the game and certainly um, deserved a point. Blackburn didn't do enough to win the game. And then didn't play brilliantly, I don't think, either here, but they did manage to get the win. And it is back-to-back clean sheets, which is something I bet they haven't done very often this season. I've got the numbers to, to hand, but I'd be shocked if they've done it more than once already this season. So a good week for them. Huddersfield need to sort themselves out with a manager, but this was a, a big, big win for Wigan at the bottom of the championship. And on Friday night, George, we had another good game and a shock. Birmingham City, they beat West Brom 2-0 and it's back-to-back wins for the Blues. Um, quick thinking and quite an inventive finish from Hannibal Medry for his first goal in blue. Obviously, someone you know very well working closely with Manchester United. But I think the story for me has to be about David Button, who should do far, far better. He just doesn't react. It's not even like, I feel like when these goals go in, everyone's like, well, his positioning's awful. I don't think his positioning is that bad. I just think it takes him about four weeks to react to the fact that he's shot at the near post and he just doesn't move his feet quick enough. And then once again, he was at fault for the second goal where it's just a cross that comes in. He comes to get it. He gets nowhere. He goes to punch it, just misses it. And Hannibal then ends up with a goal and assist, courtesy of um, David Button assist. And uh, it was Christian Bielik that headed in his first goal for Birmingham as well. I did think Birmingham were good value. Don't get me wrong. I thought they were the better team. I thought they were more aggressive. I thought West Brom was slightly off the pace. And I like the 4-4-2 shape that they've, they've moved to in the last couple of weeks where they've generally played 3-5-2 this season. They went to a 4-4-2 but tucked in Bakuna off the right-hand side, who I thought was really, really impressive. I was really impressed with him. Chong off the left. It allows you to get Hogan and Jukovic or Hogan and Dini, whoever you want, as a pairing. And then let Bielik and Hannibal be the destructive types. Um, Obviously, both got a a good pass in them as well in their locker. And I just thought they looked more solid. Um, The back line looked better protected. And it was probably just a, a bit tighter. And it certainly worked. In the, and they did a number on West Brom, really. And there wasn't loads in the game. There wasn't massive chances either way. But Birmingham were the better side. West Brom was slightly off the pace. And when you are slightly off the pace, you need your goalkeeper to help you. And I think David Button is quite clearly a net negative for West Brom. It was a, an area in the summer they probably should have strengthened. They didn't replace Sam Johnson, who left on a free. Alex Palmer's been in the goal since Carlos Corbran came in. And he's done really well. But... He's now got injured and and I think it just shows and exposes a lack of quality in that department. And that's certainly probably something they'll look back on West Brom and wondered if they should have got a keeper in the January window because Butland, in my opinion, is just not up to it at championship level right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was was a night to forget for him. I mean, you you were speaking to me during the game a couple of instances messaging me with David Button is expletive. Um, you certainly weren't impressed, to be fair, and that was only 15 minutes into the game after Hannibal's free kick. But yeah, it was certainly a weak spot in, in West Brom's team on, on Friday evening. But I think, first and foremost, you've got to credit Birmingham. Like you said, they did play really, really well. Like you said, they were strong, they were aggressive, and you know they had a good intensity to their play from the very first whistle. I thought, you know, John Eustace set them up really well. They came out with the mentality and awareness, as they would have done with John Eustace being a Birmingham fan, knowing that this is a derby. This is one we want to win for the fans. And they did exactly that. I thought they played really, really well. Both halves, particularly the first half, I thought they were really quick. They were first to everything. 
Hannibal was absolutely excellent in midfield. And, you know, that was the sign of a team that had gone to Swansea, obviously, last week and won in such dramatic fashion and said to themselves, right, we've got a point to prove now. Let's build on it. And they went out there against a West Brom team that have obviously been in flying form for the best part of two months, three months under Carlos Corbran. And I thought Birmingham were just superior. I thought they really were. I thought they were a hell of a lot better. I thought they were quicker. I thought they were sharper. And I thought they played really, really well. And obviously, West Brom have been outdone from two set plays. But I thought Birmingham, for the way they played, they deserved the victory. West Brom did very little, to be fair, to test John Ruddy and the goal at the other end of the pitch. But on West Brom, I've got to be honest, I've watched each of West Brom's last three league games in full now because they've been on Sky for the last three Friday nights in a row. Um, And aside from the first half at Burnley, I've not been that impressed by what I've seen. I mean, I watched the game against Coventry a week last Friday and what was, to be honest, as a neutral, a very drab affair. It was a very poor game of football. But I weren't impressed by West Brom that night. So I've seen one good half from West Brom in the last three games. And yeah, they have lost two of those three games as well. Burnley, I mean, with the way they're going, there's no disgrace in losing that game. But I've just, you know, the the way I've watched them and I thought they don't look what they'd been in a few weeks before that. They seem to have just dropped off the pace a little bit. I mean, the goals have dried up as well. Two goals scored in the last three, one of which was from a corner. So they seem to have lost that bit of sharpness and that bit of an edge. Uh, got thumped at Bristol City as well, it must be said, in the FA Cup sandwiched among that run. So it just makes you wonder if the bit of a honeymoon period is beginning to not fizzle out, but it's just beginning to slow down a little bit. I still think West Brom will get the top They've had a couple six. of rows. They have. They've had a couple a couple of bust-ups and it's you know it's just settling down a bit now. The the honeymoon period of the excitement has just cooled. But no, I think I still still think they'll get in the top six come the end of the season. I mean, they're only outside of the playoffs by by two points as things stand. They've got a game in hand on Watford as well, who are currently sixth. So I still think they'll get into the playoffs come the end of the season. But last few performances just they seem to have regressed a little bit. So I think Carlos Corbran's got a little bit of work to do. I look ahead to this coming week. Obviously, they've got Blackburn Rovers at home Wednesday night. Not an easy game, but Blackburn at the minute, a very unpredictable team. You just don't know what's going to happen with that. And then I could um, say that for any game all season. That's true. (laughs) Then next week, I think they're away from home. um, They might be at home to Watford, in fact. I think a week on Monday. So that's... uh, No, they'll be away to Watford. They'll be away. I should say it will be. I'm just thinking back to that Ismail Asar stunt back at the Hawthorns, back at the start of the season. So, yeah, uh, Watford away next Monday. Um, So, you know, two big games against teams in and around them in the table to come. So, big week for West Brom coming up and they'll want to get back to winning ways quickly after that defeat. But it was a defeat where I don't think, you know, the fans could have any complaints. They they got what they deserved. Birmingham was superb. And for John Eustace, you know, after that run of five straight defeats, the last two wins in very different circumstances in the sense Swansea was a bit of a you know, a bit of a dramatic smash and grab right at the death. The West Brom win was more measured, a lot more controlled and a really, really good performance as well. So for Birmingham, you know, they might be 17th, but they're only two points off 12th. So if they can achieve, you know, uh, I don't know, a 12th to 15th place finish this season, I think they'd be very happy with that with all the things going off behind the scenes. So a great result for Birmingham. Bit of a bad night for West Brom, but wouldn't be too concerned just yet. Back to the top of the league now, George. And Burnley, they were 3-0 winners against Preston North End. It's 10 in a row for Vincent Company's side. And it was just complete dominance from start to finish. I feel like we could just copy and paste what we spoke about last weekend. Apart from we need to talk about a different player. This time, Nathan Teller was the star man. A hat-trick for him. 
and quite poignant that it was the day before Southampton sacked Nathan Jones and obviously Southampton made that decision not to recall him in January. He signed, for example, uh, Orsic and he didn't even make the match day squad for Southampton yesterday. So you have to question why Southampton haven't used him this season. I think we might well see him in the Championship next season with Southampton, to be quite honest with the way it goes. But of course, their loss is Burnley's gain. Three really different goals as well, which I think just sum up where he's at. Um, obviously, a really good header, good movement in the box to get. Obviously, not the tallest, but it's really clever movement to drift away from his marker and a flicked header. The second one, pace running in behind, good trickery to chop back onto his left foot and a fired finish. And then the third one, again, positioning, good awareness of where the ball might drop, picks it up and a clinical finish through the legs of Freddie Woodman. That takes him up to 12 goals for the season. And I do think he's probably been one of the more underrated attackers in the division this year. Because when you think of Burnley, your mind instantly goes to Zaruri. Perhaps Benson's a little bit easier on the eye or a little bit more, probably the neutrals player a little bit more, the way he plays. But he's not as consistent as Nathan Teller. He's not scored as many goals as Nathan Teller. And I think Nathan Teller is a better player. I think if you ask most managers who they want in their manage in their team every single week. I think you probably would say Benson maybe at a push has got a higher ceiling. He can might do a ten out of ten, but also drop a five out of ten. And I think with Teller you're going to get eights every week. And he's been a fantastic addition on loan from them. Three really good goals, different goals, summed up what he's about. And Burnley, another clean sheet, another home win. And they are just absolutely relentless. It's just remarkable, isn't it? And I go back to the point I made this time last Sunday evening as we record this, I honestly believe this Burnley side could win every game between now and the end of the season. I honestly believe they've got it in them. I think they're going to smash that Reading total of 106 points from the 05-06 season. I really do. You, you've summed it up brilliantly on Nathan Teller. For me, from my personal perspective, obviously I've not watched every single championship team every single week, but I honestly believe Nathan Teller has probably been the lone signing of the season in this division this year. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. I mean, he's got 12 league goals, 14 in total, having scored twice in the FA Cup against Ipswich in the week. It's been remarkable numbers. 14 goals, two assists in 31 games for a player that is only 23. He's got a really exciting future ahead of him. And you've mentioned there, obviously, the prospect of him playing in the Championship again next season with Southampton. There's every chance Burnley are going to want to pursue this guy on a permanent basis in the, come the summer because... Let's be honest, unless a miracle happens, these two clubs are going to be are going to be swapping places come the end of the season, unless Southampton can uh, turn things around there. But Teller, I just like everything about him. Like you said, the array of goals that he scores, he, he's a really talented player. And you saw the goal against West Brom a few weeks ago where he, where, you know, he nipped the ball in and then broke about 30 yards up the pitch and curled, uh, bent it home comfortably. And such an array of goals against Preston. Obviously, that left footer from outside the box for his second was absolutely sublime. The header was really, really good. The third one was instinctive. He's a really talented player. And, you know, I look at Nathan Teller and I think for all the quality in that Burnley team where you said there about Benson, Zorori, you know, Ashley Barnes as a focal point up front, Scott Twine, even though we've not seen a lot of him this season. Teller's probably been one of their standout additions, if not the standout addition. I mean... To bring a player in on loan and have such an effect week in, week out is a really, really telling. I think he's started something like all oh, but two or three championship games this season. He's been, you know, so widely used by Vincent Company. He can play left, he can play right. And he's just a brilliant player to watch. And Burnley are very, very lucky to have him. And 
you know, as for Burnley as a collective now, a record equaling for the club record, 10 victories in a row. Watford at home midweek. Just think, win that. That's a club record of 11 wins on the trot in the league. You'd fancy them to win that with the way they're going to meet. You'd fancy them to beat anybody, to be fair. But go back to the same old point I keep making. I keep think, seeing comments on our Twitter feed and replies and things like that about Burnley being parachute payment FC. They're getting it easy. They're bossing it because they've got all this money. You need to remember that. I know I sound like a broken record saying it, but you've got to remember just what Vincent Company's done. Countless clubs in this division in the last few years have chucked a shed load of money at it and got nowhere. Vincent Company's come into that club, completely transformed the whole philosophy after years of playing the exact same way under Sean Dyche. Brought in, what was it, 14, 15 new players in the summer alone, several more additions in January. A lot of them, nearly all of them, in fact, from overseas. And he's just glued it all together with absolute ease. So, Burnley, there's no doubt about it, they will be playing Premier League football this season. They are going to win the league. It would take an absolute monumental collapse to not win the championship from this point onwards. I mean, 10 wins in a row is, is remarkable. So, they're looking very, very good, our Burnley. And, you know, 68 points already, 16 games to go. They could smash Reading's record. And as I say, I would not discount them winning every single game between now and the end of the season. They're, they're just an absolute winning machine. Sheffield United not doing a bad job of that either, George. They were 3-0 victors over Swansea City and it's another home victory. Again, I think that because of Burnley, we're probably not giving Sheffield United's consistency enough credit. Well, not not enough credit, but it's probably gone under the radar a little bit. And particularly at Bramall Lane, they've been unwavering all season. It's been a real fortress. And some really nice goals in this one. The Sanderberg goal was very aesthetically pleasing the way he passed it into the bottom corner, but it got enough pace where it sort of like pops up off the back of the net as well. So that was a very eye-catching finish for me. Yeah, certainly one it. It, it, oh, the technique is fantastic. And it, again, it just showed his quality and why it was so important that he wasn't sold on deadline day. There was a lot of speculation he was going to go. Premier League suitors, the club obviously in a transfer embargo and needing to raise some funds. I think if you had to sell him or Illumin and Jai, you probably would have sold Sander Berg. But he's, he never has tried to push for a leave to a leave. He's, he's been happy to stay at the club and he's going to be a Premier League player again in six months, which is only going to raise his value. Sheffield United obviously will get a massive cash injection for being back in the Premier League, which they definitely look on course to do. And again, I think he showed his quality and why he can do things at championship level that other players can't um, in terms of scoring goals, in terms of his physicality and in terms of his ball winning ability as well. He's very much an all-round midfielder and he, he that finish summed up the qualities he's got that perhaps quite a lot other people in that squad and other people in the championship don't quite have. Um, Jack Robinson front one in as well and then Oliver McBurney rounding off the win from the bench. Routine win for the Blades, keeps them right on course for the top two and happy days for everyone that in red and white. Yeah, very much so. Kind of a copy and repeat job, isn't it? Every time Sheffield United are at home, I expect them to win. They've got such a good record under Paul Heckingbottom at Bramall Lane. I mean, that's five league wins at home on the spin now. And just a very routine victory. You know, it was it was something I expected. I expected them to coast past Swansea in fairness. And they did exactly that. As you said, McBur McBurney off the bench for the last goal. Sander Berger with a brilliant opener. It's just, what, what more could you wish for for Sheffield United, really? They've not, you know, they've only lost one game now since the 19th of October and that was that home defeat to Rotherham. You know, they're ticking along nicely. They're heading for the Premier League as well. I just don't really know how much further you can expand on themselves and Burnley because they are just a class above the rest at the moment. They are winning games. 
But I must say something, though, and I'm sure we'll come on to them. Sheffield United-Middlesbrough this coming Wednesday evening as we record this on Sunday. Big, big game, that one. And you feel if, if the Blades win that one, that might just get them over the line. I mean, if Middlesbrough go up to Bramall Lane and win, it will cut the gap between the two to seven points. You know, still a, a sizable gap, but certainly not an impossible one to bridge. But I think 13 points is certainly going to be a step too far, I think, for anybody to claw Sheffield United back. So a, a big week for the Blades as it is, you know, for Burnley and their quest to just take one step closer towards getting over the line. And the, t the talk of getting over the line by the middle of February, I think, is testament to just how good these two teams have been this season. The Blades, you know, have been instrumental for the most part, particularly at home. Paul Heckingbottom, you know, he, he was a manager that was, you know, he was seriously questioned when he got that job uh, in November 2021. You know, Blades fans were really unimpressed by that. But he's absolutely summed himself up to be, a, you know, the perfect fit. And, I mean, for Sander Berger, for instance, he, he, he's brought more out of his game in terms of attacking numbers. And he's, he's just had a positive impact on everybody. So the Blades looking good, marching on. Be absolutely staggered if they don't get the top two with Burnley. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's not for the want of trying for Middlesbrough. They were 3 1 winners at Cardiff City and certainly doing their best, Middlesbrough. If they can't get in the top two, they're certainly going to go for best team goal of the season, it would appear. They had a really good contender against Watford the other week with Tube Rackpom putting the ball in the back of the net. And this one from Marcus Force for the opener, Fumpton at the near post. That was a fantastic move as well. Slick, one touch passing, speed of thought, speed of passing, speed of movement, subtlety, skill and a fantastic finish in the, the near post to round it all off and I think the second goal as well shows what Cameron Archer offers differently to Middlesbrough which they didn't have in the first half of the season, someone who can play right on the last line, use his pace to expose defences and that's what he did in this one, in behind the defence, round Ryan Alsop and into the back of the net for 2-0, um, for 2-1 should I say because of course Cardiff got uh, themselves level for a mistake from Zach Steffen giving the ball away. I can understand why you said that because it's not very often Cardiff do a goal. Exactly, I caught myself off guard. I caught myself I'll off guard. Off. But they did round the result off, George, with a, a goal from Riley McGree, who's probably been one of the more unsung heroes of this team, playing slightly off the left-hand side, uh, but gives a, a good creativity in that final third nonetheless and certainly has a, an eye for a goal and, or, a, or a spectacular goal usually. This one a slightly more um, competent finish cutting from the right after a lovely ball from Matt Crooks. And just a very good victory again for Middlesbrough, making things look very simple. As I say, Cardiff didn't really have a kick. They were second rate again. And they, the goal they did score, Middlesbrough gave them a big helping hand with from Zach Steffen's poor sloppy pass. But Borough look really strong, don't they? They look like if anyone is going to have any chance of catching neither of the top two, it will be them. They're playing really good football. They're starting to mix the team around as well. Likes of Isaiah Jones are sat on the bench. Dale Fry's had a little spell out of the team as well. Matt Crooks keeps coming in and out. So they are freshening things up as well. But the team they've got at the minute where they've got Ike Palm Force coming off the right, McGree kind of tucking in field off the left, and then Hackney and, and Housen screening with likes of Barlazer on the bench and Mower as well. So they look strong, don't they? It was a good January for Middlesbrough. And I think we're starting to see the effect of some of those January signings really come into fruition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they have got serious strength in depth across that midfield area now, and like you just said there, with the the changes and the options Michael Carrick can make. But I mean, 
as a as a summary of Middlesbrough since Michael Carrick took over, I mean, what a job he's done. He's done an absolutely remarkable job. You know, eleven wins from your first fifteen games as a manager. It's not bad going. It's a remarkable achievement, to be fair. Thirty-four points picked up already. So I think you're right. If anybody is going to trouble Burnley, well, certainly not Burnley. If anybody's going to trouble Sheffield United, it is going to be Middlesbrough. And that game at Bramall Lane this coming Wednesday is certainly going to be an intriguing one to watch. So, you know, if Borough can win that, which, you know, they'll be confident that they can. It's going to be very, very hard for them. It's going to be a very difficult place to go as it's proven this season. But if they can go there and win it, that gap goes to seven. Anything could happen. I think 13, as I said a couple of minutes ago, would be too big a gap to bridge. But Borough, if they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to be an absolute safe bet for the playoffs. And, you know, considering they were, you know, near the bottom of the league when Michael Carrick went in, to have transformed the fortunes in 15 matches is absolutely remarkable. And, you know, I think the thing with Middlesbrough now is they're starting to starting to put teams to the sword, aren't they? That's the thing with them now. They're starting to blow teams away a little bit and make relatively light work of them. Obviously, three past Blackpool last weekend and three at Cardiff. Albeit, yeah, two teams struggling at the wrong end of the league, but you've still got to do your job. And defensively, overall, they've not been bad. Only 15 conceded since Michael Carrick went in compared to the 31 that they've scored. So they're certainly doing things right at both ends of the pitch. And for him, I mean, he's got to be looking forward now thinking... If the fairy tale happens and I do take Middlesbrough to the Premier League next season, uh, this season for next season, I should say, I'm going to be really excited to see what I can do at that level. But if they don't go up this season, Middlesbrough will be considered. If they keep this form up and say miss out on the playoff, play, uh, miss out in the playoffs or whatever, they're going to be fancied as one of the favourites next season for the title, like they were this season. But obviously for a very different reason under Carrick. So Borough looking very very good. Cardiff though. A sorry, sorry state of affairs for them. Sabri Lamucci, absolutely zero impact. And with the way things are going for them, I really do fear for Cardiff. Yeah, it's 14 without a win for them. The only goal they did score in this game was obviously a big helping hand from Middlesbrough, albeit Callum Robson did very well to get it square. They look very desperate, don't they, at the minute? They're pro- they are probably playing like the worst team in the division. Yeah. I think every single team I would fancy to beat them at the moment, which is quite a, um, a got, damning statement if we're being completely honest. No- no identity have they or anything they've got nothing about them say as, as a Cardiff fan to excite her and I mean the fact that they, they haven't won a game since bonfire night is is quite telling and that includes the cup as well so desperate times for Cardiff and you know with with Wigan winning on Saturday they're only outside the bottom three now on goal difference so Cardiff do you are, think they'll get relegated Cardiff to be honest I think they could I think I think they've got every day I, I would you know if if I had £10 in front of me now and said you can choose Wigan or Cardiff to stay up, I would go with Wigan at the moment. I really would. And if you asked me that question between, say, Cardiff or Rotherham, for example, I would back Rotherham over them at the moment. Yeah, I would. Definitely. Definitely, without a doubt. So, you know, I, I know we've said, I know I've said about Stoke possibly getting dragged into this, but it is more than likely going to be three from Rotherham, Cardiff, Wigan, Huddersfield, and Blackpool, you would think. So if I had a gun to my head now and had to pick the three to go down, I would go with Blackpool, Huddersfield, Cardiff at the moment. That would be my three. I think I would go... I think Rotherham at the moment, I would say, would stay up. I think I would probably go with Wigan to go down. 
Huddersfield and Blackpool. I suppose Huddersfield depends on who they bring in, doesn't it? I feel like I think for me at the moment it's between probably Huddersfield and Cardiff for that last spot. Because I like Blackpool. I think Blackpool have probably got the best squad of all those teams, but I'm just not convinced by Mick McCarthy's appointment. And I said that a couple of weeks ago. So for me, I would probably say it's between Huddersfield and Cardiff at the moment in my mind for those that last spot. I mean, you think of it as well, don't you? If once Huddersfield get their new gaffer in, that current bottom four have all changed managers already this calendar year. And, yeah. you know, I know only Sean Maloney's only had two games in charge, but he's had the best impact of the other three new managers that have come in so far. So he's got that little bit of a bounce, it seems. Blackpool haven't had that. Will Huddersfield copy Wigan and get that bit of a bounce? So at the minute, I mean, you look at Rotherham, they're four clear of danger at the minute. Not a massive gap, but at the moment, relatively healthy at the minute with the way those below them are playing. And playing the but best think, of those four teams, you would say. But Rotherham, even though they've not been putting wins on the board recently, they have at least been getting a point in each game. They're keeping clean sheets as well. I think it's three clean sheets in four for Rotherham now, which is, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Only baby steps, but it is a movement in the right direction. So I think Rotherham, and I think Rotherham have got more spirit and heart about them, say Cardiff. They've got more of a style and more All of those intangibles that inevitably yeah. get drawn into a relegation battle. So for me, if I had to pick three to go down at the moment, I would go Blackpool, Huddersfield and Cardiff. That would be my three. Back to the playoff picture now, George. Big win for Millwall. They won 2-1 away at Queen's Park. Rangers moves them up to fifth. And it was two new signings on the score sheet for them. Probably two signings we we didn't expect particularly for uh, Millwall to go out and sign in January. Duncan Watmore firing in the opener, having signed from Middlesbrough. And then Ollie Burke tapping in the second. Exactly the same move he made 12 months ago. A low move to Millwall, this time from Werder Bremen. Uh, and he tapped in what seems like, like his first goal in about four years um, for the second goal. So that put them 2-0 up. They did concede late on, um, but they saw the win out and... Millwall's form's been really good for a sustained period of time now, George. Since losing at Blackburn on October the 1st, in which there was chance of, Gary Rowett, your football is shit, and uh, we want Rowett out, they have now taken 30 points from 17 games, which is almost two points per game, which would be automatic promotion form. It's a very strong third or fourth best in terms of seven, you know, just under that two points per game. That's That'll get you like third or fourth in the table over the course of a season. They've only conceded 11 goals in that time as well. And during that period, nobody has a better defensive record than them. Really on the up, although it's taken them, they've sort of flitted in and out of the playoff places during that period. They were quite far behind and we probably forget where they were after 11 games. They were sort of bottom end of uh, the, sorry, middle pack of the bottom half of the table. And they've been on a really good run and it deserves a bit of credit. And they've certainly got better away from home as well. I mean, they couldn't get much worse, but they've got better, more consistent. And they're looking as good as anyone. They've been looting in the last few weeks, particularly, to try and get in against some of the you know more traditional top six challengers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you look at Millwall's recent form, and with the exception of a defeat at Middlesbrough, they've been really good since the restart, since after the World Cup. They've been on a hell of a run. And I think they go to QPR, even though QPR are in a real mess at the moment. Obviously, it's a bit of a derby. And they've not got a good record there. It's been a very, very long time since they went to Loftus Road and won. But it's one of those away wins where you feel it could be pivotal in your your own season's aspirations. A, a, you know, a, a determined, gritty 2-1 away win. It is, you know, a really important win wherever it comes. So 
But Gary Rower, I think, and I said this, didn't I, last season, and probably the season before, to be fair, Millwall are a club that have always been up there, but just lacking that little extra spark to get them into the I think they've places. got the best squad they've had I under Rowett's tenure, which I, I know I I've said several times on the pod this season. I think they've the got the best squad, certainly depth-wise. The recruitment this season, both in the summer and in January, has been really on point, I think. You know, you look at their their recruitment in January and Oliver Burke and, and Watmore, obviously, who both scored on, on Saturday, really sensible moves. But then you look back to the summer and you look at the impact that, say, Zian Fleming's had. He's been absolutely superb. George Honeyman's been really, really good. So, you know, Gary Rowett has built a squad that has got the, the both the experience and know-how of the championship and, you know, flashes of talent from abroad that we're going to bring that little bit of flair and that little bit of creativity and that bit of unpredictability as well. It's felt but, with Millwall squad, just on the recruitment while you're on that point, They've always, you've looked at the squadrons, they're just one sure, they're just one or two sure. And this season, they've gone and actually got those extra one or two. And they might only be squad players. Like, can you say that Watmore or Ollie Burke is probably going to make the difference in terms of go straight into the starting 11 and improve it and definitely make the difference between them finishing top six or not? Not for me, they're they're sort of mid range championship players. But having that extra player just to swap someone in and out, keep someone a bit fresher, not rely on the same 12, 13 players. Have a little bit more depth for the you know the fifteenth, sixteenth man in your squad. They've got that this year, which they probably missed yeah. when we've looked and been like they're just one short or so. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think the thing for for Millwall is as well when you look at that starting eleven that started on Saturday, it's got a really strong sort of strong and steady championship feel to it. Nothing you know sort of flair amazing, amazing like top end, but it's got a bunch of lads in there that know this league. You know what you're going to get from them. They work hard for each other. And I think for Millwall, I think it's all built from the back of your centre-half pair of Charlie Creswell and Jake Cooper. Cooper, for me, has been just one of the best centre-backs in the championship consistently over the last three or four years. I, I really do rate Jake Cooper a lot. Then you move into midfield. George Savile, George Honeyman, the Nobles League, like the back of the hand. Tom Bradshaw up front, the same. Then you look at the bench as well. You know, Ollie Burke, really exciting player, just seemingly just waiting to find a club where he can settle and really kick on in England. Scott Malone, you know, good backup option to have at left back. They've just got a really strong and dependable team. And I think Gary Rowett, you're right, has got the best team he's he's had since he got the Joe at Millwall. And you look at the championship table as it stands, they're into the playoff places. They're locked in fifth, albeit only a point clear of Sunderland in seventh. But they've got games in hand on, on those around them as well, which could be key. So... Millwall looking really good and, you know, in a playoff race that we've said throughout the season is, is being absolutely wide open and you you still can't really predict, probably with the probably with the exception of Middlesbrough as a guaranteed finisher in them four places, Millwall will certainly fancy the chances of being in there. They've got as good a chance as anybody. They're in good form and like you said, they've got a really strong defensive presence and as well as that, as always... They've made the den a really difficult place to go this season. So they've got a lot of things going for them, Millwall. And Gary Rowett, for me, I think he'll be very satisfied with the way this season's going so far. It's been another step in the right direction. And I actually feel this year they could finally bridge that gap into extending their season beyond the first weekend in May. Two 1 0 wins to round us off. We'll start at Ashton Gate. Bristol City continued their fine run of form, beating Norwich City 1 0. It's nine unbeaten for them and back to back wins for the first time since September. And in, in truth, the, the, the winning goal was a bit of a gift. Angus Gunn letting a, a Mark Sight shot squirm through him and go under him. 
But Bristol City did have other strong chances to win the game. They could have rounded it off through Harry Cornick, but that was a really good save. And as we, you know, we waxed lyrical about Bristol City, or certainly gave them a little bit of uh, praise and, and highlighted their good form last week. So I don't want to go over old ground, but the bench looks strong, doesn't it? When you've got that front four that we t- spoke about last week with Wells, Bell, Sykes and Alex Scott in the number 10. And then you've got Mehmeti and Cornick to come off the bench to give them really fresh legs and, and different options as well in that attacking third. They do look better defensively since they've gone to the back four, which I said last week with um, Naismith screening in front, although he didn't play at the weekend. And they look a much happier camp than they did six to eight weeks ago where Nigel Pearson was playing Andy King at centre-back ahead of Rob Atkinson. And things just looked like they were starting to unravel and you did wonder if it was going to be the end of his tenure. But fast forward two, two and a half months, they're in a much better place and this was a really good win against Norwich. Yeah, it certainly was. And it was one that we both called, wasn't it? We we really fancied Bristol City to win this one at the weekend and they did exactly that. And I think you've nailed it in terms of the last few weeks of obviously results have of course helped but the way they've played they seem to have more of an identity about them and Nigel Pearson seems to have finally found the team that works for him in the way that what he's been building up to because you know he's been there quite a while now when you think about it he's probably what the third longest serving manager or something I think he is the third longest serving manager in the league now I mean he's he's been in at Bristol City since when was it? About March 2021, something yeah. like that? February 2021. Yeah, just under two years. It's coming up for two years in, in just over a week, in fact. So, you know, he's, he's nearing a, quite a significant anniversary there. And like you've said, he, he's finally found a way to get his team playing. And it's the youngsters that are at the heart of it, even though Mark Sykes is in this formidable run of goal-scoring form at the minute. But they've got so much about them. So much excitement, so much flair. And like you said, players to come off the bench like your Mimetis and your Harry Cornicks, who I still stand by, will turn out to be very, very good additions the way they did them on deadline day. So there's a lot going for Bristol City this season. There's a lot of improvement. They've not lost yet this calendar year. I think the nine games unbeaten in all competitions. Got a big FA Cup tie with Manchester City to look forward to at the end of this month. And, you know, there's a lot of things going well there at Ashton Gate right now. And I think the thing for me is... As, as well as that is that the fact that they seem to be slowly improving defensively as well. They seem a lot more at ease, a lot more confident at the back and everything just seems to be slotting into place nicely. And for Bristol City, you know, a playoff finish is not out of the question. It's a seven-point gap as things now. I can't see it myself. But if they could finish in the top half and, you know, certainly flirt with the playoffs towards the end of the season between now and then, I think it would be considered a good season for them ahead of hopefully pushing on next season. But of course, there is the caveat that next season, if these youngsters continue in the same vein, are they going to be able to keep hold of them? Certainly Alex Scott with the form he's in. So it's certainly one or two things to bear in mind. But for Nigel Pearson, it feels like he's finally getting what he wanted and he's been building towards this for quite a while. So long may it continue for Bristol City. They're in excellent form at the minute. They've got some... Favourable fixtures coming up, playing a lot of teams towards the bottom, I think, in the next few weeks. So, you know, it's a good opportunity. They've got Wigan at home on, on Wednesday evening. And then at the weekend, they've got uh, a trip to Sunderland. So, a bit of a mixed bag this week. Big game at Sunderland. But Wigan at home, they'll certainly be looking for three points in that one. But it won't be easy with the way uh, Wigan has slowly begin to improve. And then the team that you've just touched on, <coughs> touched on, George, Sunderland. They beat Reading 1-0 
at the Stadium of Light. Quite a tight game, not a lot in it. I think there was quite a bit of uh, funny comments post-match with uh, suggestions that Reading had tried to stifle the game and time waste. And I think every team does it, don't they? Let's be fair. If it's your team, you love it. And if it's the opposition, you hate it. I don't want to get drawn into Everyone that sort of stuff. It. Really, but quite some funny comments from Paul in post matches we do tend to get from him. But Sunderland, in the end, will feel that they got their rewards for playing football the right way, um, <laughs> as it was. It was the 84th minute they finally got the breakthrough with Patrick Roberts punching, uh, pouncing on a Reading error to fire in fantastically well from the angle. Leaves the Black Cats right on the periphery of the top six, Georgian really in the mix. But you do feel goals are a little bit harder to come by with, with without Ross Stewart, with pretty much the same attacking four and not a lot else in the squad when you've got Ahmad, obviously, uh, Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, and then it's Joe Gelhard, who's probably not your traditional number nine, probably be preferred to play in one of those three roles in behind the striker rather than as the focal point. But Sunderland getting it done, clean sheet at home. We've got a few players coming back now. Dan Ballard's been really good having him back in the squad for the last six weeks or so. He's a very talented centre-back at this level. I'm a big fan of his. And it keeps them right in the chase for the top six, ultimately. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, one defeat in eight now for Sunderland. They, you know, they, they seem to be going under the, their form seems to be going under the radar a little bit. Probably because you said there the the goals aren't flowing as prolifically as they'd want to, but they are still finding a way. I mean, they've taken seven points from the last nine, having played Middlesbrough and Millwall in that run. That's a healthy return, that. To be fair, so I think Tony Mowbray will be really pleased with the way things are mapping out. Obviously. Without Ross Stewart, it is a big loss. It is a huge loss. We, we've acknowledged that. We've seen that this season when he was out, you know, in the in the first bit of the season. But I watched Sunderland um, Wednesday night in the FA Cup against Fulham, their replay in the, in the fourth round of the Cup, and they lost 3-2. But they played really, really well. And, you know, when they got it back to 3-2 with about five minutes to go, something like that, they certainly didn't give up. They kept pushing, kept believing, and they gave Fulham a bit of room for their money, to be fair. And obviously, they... they Obviously, did that in the first game at Craven Cottage first time around. So, they are doing reasonably well without Ross Stewart, even though the goals aren't flowing as much as they'd like. But I look ahead to Sunderland's next five games, and I can see this being a being a period in their campaign which could define which way they go, whether they continue to knock on the door or they potentially just fall away a little bit. You look at their next five games, starting midweek, they've got QPR away. Bristol City at home, Rotherham away, Coventry away and Stoke at home. So they're playing five teams there that are all beneath them in the table at the minute. You know, two of them at home, three away. Would argue that probably out of that five, I'd probably say Rotherham away is probably the hardest at the moment. So it's a good opportunity for Sunderland to get some points on the board in the coming weeks. And for Tony Mowbray, I think if they can emerge from the next five games, having, say, picked up a minimum of 10 points... I think they'll be right in the mix. Ross Stewart's a huge loss, but even though the goals aren't flowing so far, they are finding a way to win without him, and that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Reading, they're starting to tumble down the league a little bit. They've just they been are. so poor away from home all season, um, and that puts a lot of pressure on the home form, which was really good at the start of the season, but has slightly tailed off. Um, it's gone how we expected, hasn't it? it you know, At the start of the season, it came as a shock. And it's kind of unravelled in the way we probably all anticipated. One win in eight now at the minute. That was on the 27th of December. As I say, dropped down to to 18th. Probably won't get dragged into the relegation battle, but 
certainly the, the the form has dropped and as you say it's probably yeah. leveled out a little bit more from what we expected at the start of the season in a way overall it's probably still going a lot better than probably what most reading fans anticipated at the very very start of the season because i'll go back to what i said i, I expected paul in to be the first manager to get the sack and, he, and he's, he's one of the very few that's actually kept his job this season so i think they'll be fine i don't think they'll get sucked into it this team's worse than them but they, they need to you know pick the pace up a little bit absolutely three draws in the championship this weekend coventry one at luton one probably a, a Result where both teams were quite happy with a point. Matt Godden back in the fold for Coventry, which is so important for them because they've been ever so reliant on Victor Giocarez, who's currently going for a bit of a barren spell at the moment. Um, he leveled things up after Tom Lockyer had bundled him from a free kick. Blackpool nil, Rotherham nil. Obviously, we, it's been a big week for Blackpool. Two points in a decisive week, but I think they've probably been second best in both games, really. There was obviously an early red card against Huddersfield on, on Tuesday night for Gary Medine, which didn't help things. But for me, I just feel like they've probably been more likely to lose the two games that they've been in this week at home as well than win them. It's, it's not quite the bounce that Mick McCarthy wanted, um, in my opinion. And then Stoke nil, Hull City nil. Not a lot to say about this one. Another pretty dull affair for Stoke fans to endure. They just can't get any sort of consistency going. And that rounds off this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We'll round off the podcast, as always, George, now with our shocks and bankers. There is a full slate of midweek action to look ahead at, but we're going to look at the championship weekend action, as we always do. Do you have a shock and a banker for me? I certainly do. Um, I did contemplate having a little look at the Friday night game, which looks like potentially being a very painful Friday night game between Cardiff and Reading, but I think I'm going to leave that one. Yeah, that certainly doesn't fill with excitement for a Friday night of fun. But in terms of my shock and banker, I'm going to look at the Saturday fixtures. For a shock, I'm going to go for Millwall at home to Sheffield United in the in the early kickoff on, on Saturday lunchtime. The Blades did win there recently. We must admit that. They did win in the FA Cup. It's important to remember, but the Cup is, of course, very different. Going to go for Millwall as the, as the shock against Sheffield United. In terms of a banker, I'm going to go for... Ooh, what shall I go for this week? I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for Middlesbrough at home to QPR. And I'm judging by the smile on your face, I've got a feeling that we're matching up. Correct. I actually did mine in advance, unlike you, that's quite clearly just read off the sheet and picked them um, at whim. Yeah, no, I've also track. got Middlesbrough, uh, Middlesbrough to beat <laughs> Queen's Park Rangers as my banker. Middlesbrough, as strong as anything, QPR is so poor at the moment, probably a bottom playing like a bottom free side in the championship at the minute. Why would you not? Why would you yeah, not fancy Middlesbrough to win this game at home where they've been so strong? And then we've just talked up Middlesbrough. I know Sheffield United are in good form. They absolutely are. They're one of the best teams in the division. But I think Millwall at the Den, early kickoff, I could see a, a, a scrambly 1-0 victory with Jake Cooper kicking one in off his backside, as he always tends to do against Sheffield United. The record he's got against them is absolutely, absolutely bonkers. It was a goal against Sheffield United. Um, so, it. yeah, I'm going to match you, George. Although technically I did it first, I wrote it down first. Although you said it first, so you're copying me. I'll so copy you, Millwall then. as my shock against Sheffield United and Middlesbrough to beat Queens Park Rangers as my banker. We're just both very, very boring. Speak for yourself. Very bland. Speak for yourself. But that does not. To be fair, we've we've not had that situation. I don't think. No, we haven't. We're quite good. I don't normally pick back to. I picked Middlesbrough two weeks in a row as my banker, and I'm not a big fan of that. I try to make sure I don't do that. 
But I just couldn't look past that game against QPR because QPR is so poor at the moment. I did consider Burnley, but Luton, you know, potentially a difficult place to go, but we'll see. That marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. And of course, a massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure you go and check them out for any of your business needs. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.